0: Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, May 5th, 2019, we continue our new series titled Genesis, In the Beginning. Today's sermon, God is God, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Enjoy. I want to start our time this morning by reminding you of a parable of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. It's the parable of the firm foundation and the rocks. You remember this? It's the wise man built his house upon the rock. Jesus makes these statements. He says, if you hear these words and do these words, you'll be like a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. When the waves come, the storms, storms come, the floods come, the winds come, uh, your house will be fine because it's built upon the rock. But then he says, if you hear these things and don't do them, you'll be like the fool who built his house upon the sand. And when the rains come, the winds come, the floods rise your house will be washed away. Moral of the story, uh, foundations are important, aren't they? If you've seen a building or a home ever built, they spend significant amounts of time making sure they have the foundation just right. This morning, we're going to visit some foundational truths from Genesis chapter one, verses one and two. Let me read that passage and then we'll pray and then we'll talk about four foundational truths that show up in Genesis chapter one, verse one and two. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Let's pray. God, though it's my voice that's been heard, we know it's your word that's been spoken, and this morning we trust you, God. We trust that the things you gave us in these two short verses are important and transformational for our life. So God, this morning, would you speak to us? Would you open our ears that we would hear your voice? Would you open our eyes so we can see things in the text that we haven't seen before? Would you open our hearts so we can know you and also love you? God, would you change our lives this morning, even just in a short time? And would you do it for your glory and your glory alone? And all God's people said, amen. amen. Verse 1, it starts with this, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the first big question we like to ask is how? How did he do that? I know you think I look really old, so I was there. And I could probably give you all of the deep answers to that question, but there's some questions in God's word that we might not be able to answer as clearly as we think. I remember a time when I was in seminary, I, I had this teacher and he wrote big theology books. So he, he, we'd ask a question and he'd say, well, what did I say on page 2049? And we're like, you're smart, I'm not, I get it, right? Um, and then we'd go to t- page 2049. But then sometimes we'd ask these questions and he'd sit there and ponder for a second and we'd think we'd stumped him, like we'd finally got him, this guy doesn't know. Everything as if this wasn't news to him. Uh, so he'd start flipping through the giant book that he wrote and then he'd start turning through the pages of his Bible kind of like this and he's shuffling through his notes and then he'd finally land on this one and we'd think he's about to give us the answer to life's most profound questions and he'd take his page and he'd do this. I don't know. Like, man, I thought we were going to get the answers to that one, right? And, and his whole point was there's some things in the scriptures we just don't know. I remember upon my conclusion in seminary, I sat down with that same teacher among another for an hour and it was just free reign question time where they could answer me, a- ask me any question they wanted to and I had to give an answer. We get down towards the end of our time and he asks a question. I feel like I've answered it pretty well. He, he asks a follow-up question, which makes me feel like maybe I didn't do so hot. And then he asks me another question. And I sit there and I'm like, am I missing something? Did I, did I forgot to read that page in his book or what? So I finally just said, I, I don't know. And you know what he said? He said, good, nobody knows the answer to that question. And I was like, bro, that's a trap. Like, you can't do that to me but I learned from it and I I learned that it's okay to say I don't know. In fact, as we look in the scriptures, God tells us there's some things we just simply won't know. They're not on the screen, but you can write these down in your notes if you'd like to. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord. That means he's keeping secrets from us that he's not going to, Divulge, Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 35 says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Who fully understands him? Who fully understands what God has done? Who fully understands how God has done the things that God has done? He gives us the answer. He says, no one knows. Some things are left for him to understand and for us to have faith. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is God speaking. My thoughts aren't like your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay, so if our understanding of who God is and our understanding of how God has done the things that he's done is way down here, he says, that's cute. Your thoughts that are here like on on the level of the earth, my thoughts and my ways, they're past the heavens. There are some things in the scriptures we just cannot comprehend nor can we understand completely how God did them and creation is one of those things. So this morning, when I'm not gonna stand up here and tell you the earth is only X amount of years old or the earth is X amount of years old or God used this process to create everything or God used this process to create everything or God created everything and then let it be and then picked it back up again because friends, we just don't know There's people I know who would believe any of the different theories I just presented and and they are devout and they're sincere and they love Jesus more than I do and it's fine that we disagree on some stuff because there's some things we just don't know. So this morning, instead of presenting some theoreticals and hypotheticals of maybe God did this, I'd love it if we could focus in on four foundational truths that show us who God is. Now, if that's not cool with you, that's fine, but that's what I got in my notes, so that's what we're doing. (laughs) Four foundational truths that we see in the scriptures. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, the beginning of what? The beginning of everything as we know it. What does that mean for us? That means God is eternal. That's the first thing we learn about God in the beginning of the Bible, that God is eternal. Now, that's kind of a hard thing to understand, that before anything was, there was God. That before anything was, there was God. I can comprehend that before I was here, my parents were here, and that before they were there, their parents were there, and before their parents were there. there. And I can kind of understand that way, but it's kind of hard to understand that before anything ever existed, there was God forever. And then after everything ceases here, then there's gonna still be God forever. It's, It's just hard to figure out, but this is what the Bible teaches all throughout the scriptures. Psalm chapter 90, verse 1 And two says this, a prayer of Moses is how it begins. Now, Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, Moses is also the author of Genesis, the book that we're studying today. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. He says, This, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the world, formed the earth and the world from everlasting. Okay, so in eternity past and two everlasting. So that's eternity, future, you are God. So what is God? The scriptures say God is just forever. God's eternal. God existed eternally past that way. God will exist eternally past that way. God is eternal. He's infinite. I was talking to one of my friends this week and his son was trying to convince him that he could count to infinity. And he just didn't under, understand the concept of Infinity. And he told him, no, bud, I promise, eventually you're just going to keep on counting and you'll never hit infinity. And he says, no, dad, I can. <laughs> it's not the way this works. Infinity is forever, and that's how God is. God is infinity, and since he is infinity, it's kind of difficult to comprehend and understand him, which is why some of the things he does, some of the things he says are incomprehensible to us. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27. Look at the name. Again, this is Moses writing the book of Deuteronomy. He says, the eternal God, the eternal God. All throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's these small G gods that show up. You can take that verse down if you'd like. There's a lot of small G gods who show up and, and the authors say, yeah, the gods of this world, they're gonna pass away. The gods of this world, they're gonna perish. The gods of this world didn't create everything, but God created everything. God is eternal. These two verses in Genesis, the first two verses, uh, it's hard to even figure out how many times they're quoted in the New Testament and Old Testament because it's hard to figure out which ones are quoting the original and which ones are quoting the quotations. But it's hundreds and hundreds of times these verses and these foundations are visited throughout the scriptures. God is is eternal. In the New Testament, first Timothy chapter one, verse seventeen, it shows up as well. To the King of the Ages, the King who is forever, immortal. That means you'll never die, you've always existed. To the King of the Ages, immortal and visible, to the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. See, because God exists forever and ever, it only makes sense to bring him glory forever and ever. Our God is eternal. Now here's why I think this matters to us. While the Bible teaches us that God is infinite, he is eternal, he's higher, he's greater, he's above us in every single way, the Bible still affirms that the eternal God, the one who is, the one who who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come still cares for and has an eternal plan and purpose for his people. Now that should bring us to a place of humility, that the God of everything would have a plan for us. Jeremiah 29, 11, talking about God's plan for his people, the Israelites, you've probably heard this and maybe even memorized, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. The plans I have, God is working a plan. For I know the plan that I am working out on your behalf, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. He has a plan, he's working out for our good and for his glory. Now what do we do with that? Well, because God is eternal and actively working his plan, the Bible tells us he has a plan for us, we can trust him. We can trust him. Even when life is difficult, even when we encounter the many trials, the storms, the turbulations we might face in this life, we can trust God because he's eternal and has an eternal purpose for each and every one of us. That's the first foundation we see in Genesis chapter one, that God is eternal. The second foundational truth we see is that God is the creator of everything. That God is the creator of everything. He says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, it doesn't just mean the heaven and the earth. It means everything, right? If my wife tells me, hey, I need you to clean the house top to bottom, which she wouldn't because she knows I'll fail at that. Um, If she were to tell me top to bottom, she might come home, and it is very likely that I cleaned the ceiling and the floor because she said top and bottom, right? Um, But no, top to bottom, that means everything, that's exactly what the author is saying here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and everything in between, he created everything. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, we covered this last week briefly. We'll cover it again this morning. It says, by faith, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Okay, by faith, that means I, I still don't get it. I still don't understand it. I still don't know how God stood there in created. It says he spoke and everything just existed. I don't know how that works. I have no idea how God does that. But the Bible says by faith I can understand it. That by faith, by hoping and trusting in him, I can understand that the universe, everything was created by the word of God so that what is seen, now check this out, was not made out of things that are visible. Okay, there's a Latin word for this. It's ex nihilo. You don't have to remember that, but that's what the Latin Bible says. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. It says that God created everything out of nothing. Any creatives in the church this morning you like to create? Okay, well, just me and my kids. That's fine. Um, My kids love to create. Maybe um, if you have young kids at home or you remember when you did, you had these little Lego figures everywhere. Um, They were both a blessing and a curse, and by a blessing, I mean they were fun, and by a curse, I mean when you step on them, that's what happens. Um, But not me, because I'm a pastor. Um, This is a a beautiful creation. I don't know if you recall that scene from Star Wars um, where the stormtroopers team up uh, with Indiana Jones, and they hijack a Coast Guard boat to uh, kidnap a guy from the Blue Man Group. Um, If you... If you remember that part of the movie, I don't. They seem to remember that part. Um, but that's fine. They're being creative, right? This is one of my boys' many creations, and, and they'll, come, they'll spend hours building stuff. Then they'll come to me and say, Dad, look what I created. And I'll say, man, that's awesome. It's so cool that we can take things that, that God created and we can make things out of them. Right? But in, in reality, o- only God creates We can make things out of stuff that God created, but we can't just create things. See, God says, let there be, and there is. God says, let there be, and there is. We can simply take the things that he's let there be and then do stuff with them. We can be creative, but we cannot be creators because only God creates. The scriptures teach that God is the creator of everything, and we can understand this by faith. How then should creation relate to its creator? Well, first, the Bible teaches creation is subject to. We're subordinate. We're underneath. Psalm 33, verses six through nine says this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all of their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts all the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it came to be he commanded and it stood firm how should creation respond to the creator it says we should fear him have a healthy fear of knowing how powerful he is it says we should stand in awe and not like oh but like awe jaw dropping awe struck wonder that's the place that creation should bring us to of just oh. god you're amazing that you created everything We're subject to our creator. Colossians chapter one, verses five through 17 says, he's the image of the invisible God. This is talking about Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, check this out, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold Together, Our life and all life begins through him. Our life and all life is sustained by him. Our life and all life exists for him and therefore our life and all life only make sense with him. We're subordinate to him. We are the creature, he is the creator. And we ought to serve him and worship him which brings us to the second part of that. Creation ought to worship its creator. Worship means to show reverence and adoration and honor and praise. This is all throughout the scriptures as well. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. If you look to the stars, they're screaming and shouting and worship of what God has done. They're proof that there's something else out there. It's proof that there's something else working. The heavens declare The glory of God. Psalm 148, 1 through 5. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts, praise him, sun and moon, praise him, all you shining stars, praise him, you highest heavens and you water above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Why? For he commanded and they were created. The creature is always supposed to worship the Creator. Revelation chapter four, fast forward to the end of the Bible. The beginning and the end, they all end and begin with worship. Revelation four, nine through 11. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. He's eternal. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you have created all things and by your will they existed and were created. The creation is always supposed to respond and worship towards the creator. We just sang about this, so will I. Some of those lyrics, if the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. Friends, if we look at the scriptures and realize that all of creation sings the praises of God and we are a part of his wonderful creation, we too should respond how? In worship to our creator with reverence and adoration of who he is. Because he is the creator and we are created, we ought to worship him. Let's look at verse two. Verse two says this, the earth was without form and void, in darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. The third foundational truth that we see in Genesis 1, 1 and 2 is that God is three in one. God is three in one. Bonus points for those of you who know some Bible words. What's the Bible word for that? Trinity. Fun fact, the word Trinity doesn't actually show up in the Bible. But it is a term we use to understand who God is. Well, what do I mean by that? Uh, We looked at the first two words of Genesis last week. The first two words were Beresheth Elohim. Beresheth Elohim. And Elohim is a plural word for God. The third word in the scriptures are bara, which means created, and it's a singular word. Now, why is that interesting? Because we have a plurality of persons singularly creating everything. We see plurality within God, even from the very beginning. And again, we see this concept of Trinity, that God is three in one all throughout the scriptures, and the foundation for that doctrinal understanding begins here in Genesis chapter one. John chapter one, verses one, 1 through 5 says this, in the beginning was the word. Now let me me give you this. Word equals who? It's Jesus. We see in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So the word is Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus and without Jesus was not anything made that was made. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We see in John 1, 1, which starts kind of like the beginning of the whole Bible in Genesis 1, that in the beginning, the word, in the beginning, God. We see in the Gospel of John that Jesus makes claims to be God, because Jesus is God. Colossians chapter one verses fifteen through twenty, which we covered briefly already, again says He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. This doesn't mean He was born. This is more in the realm of birthright or inheritance. Because He's the firstborn, He gets the birthright. He gets the inheritance. Everything that belongs to the Father now belongs to the Son. For by Him, all things were created. By Jesus, all things were created. We can move to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, where though the Bible affirms that God is three, that God is also one. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Also Moses wrote Deuteronomy, remember. So he speaks of God as plurality, yet he speaks as God as singular. Our understanding of who God is, that God is Trinity, begins even here in Genesis chapter 1. Now, why does that matter? Well, if God has eternally existed in relationship, um, and you could say not only God does God eternally exist in relationship, you could say that God is relationship. It's who he is. It's part of his nature. Relationship is not something that God does. Relationship is something that God is. Now, if God has eternally been in relationship with the Trinity, with the Godhead, don't you think his creation ought to as well not only be in relationship with him but also be in relationship with one another? We'll get there in a few weeks. Genesis chapter one, verse 26 says, chapter one, verse 26 says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let us, the Godhead, make man like us. Why are we creative as individuals? Well, because God's a creator, why are we designed for relationship? Well, because God is, 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 has existed eternally in relationship. And since God has existed eternally in relationship, we too ought to place a high value on living the Christian life with other people. We're not meant to do life alone. The fourth foundational truth we see in Genesis chapter one, verse one and two is that God is a God of order. That God is a God of order. It says the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. he gives us this picture of turmoil, of confusion, of, of without form and void and darkness and deeps and what is going on. What follows in verse three through the rest of the chapter, God begins to order everything. God creates things exactly the way they're meant to be created this is affirmed that God is a god of order in the new testament as well 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 33 it says this for God is not a god of confusion but he's a god of peace he's not a god of confusion but a god of peace and what we see happening in verse 2 and what follows is God making peace of confusion i love the way this passage ends because it ends with this great expectation of something amazing is about to happen. God is about to do something cool. It says the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. What is going on? But it says the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. It's this dramatic pause where in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth but there was this thing where we're not quite sure what was happening but it's okay, why? Because God was hovering over it all and he was about to do something amazing. We see that same exact storyline come in and out of our time in Genesis multiple times. See, God creates a perfect world, a perfect ecosystem, perfect people. Everything is wonderful. Our relationship with God is great. And then we get to like chapter two and three. So it's pretty good for a chapter there. And we see that Adam and Eve mess it up. Everything's going fine. He gives them one rule. First, he gives them freedom, by the way. He says, hey, you're free to do whatever you want, which is amazing. The first rule God gave his people is be free. Be free and live here's the one thing you're not supposed to do. Don't touch that tree. Okay. What happens? They they go, they touch the tree. And there's this tension, there's this conflict that arises. Of Well, what's God gonna do now? He created everything so perfectly for him to have relationship with his people, but what's he gonna do now? The whole thing has been broken. You get to the flood where God tells Noah, hey, build a giant boat. For like ten or fifteen years, hundred years, build a giant boat. Okay. Well, what's God going to do now? I mean, Moses, Noah just built this giant boat, so his family gets on the boat. It starts to rain, floods the entire earth. Well, that seems kind of counterproductive. <laughs> like you just created everything, and now you flooded everything. God, what are you going to do now? Everything, they, they get off the boat and, they, and God tells them, okay, just cover the whole entire earth. But they don't. They don't. They decide to kind of congregate all together and then they just had this great idea. Hey, let's just build the tower that goes to heaven so we can be like God. Well, I wonder what God's gonna do now. I have an idea he's not gonna like that he responds he does something and he promises Abraham down the line you're going to have multiple 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 children and then we get to this story with Isaac and Jacob where and he's supposed to sacrifice his son and you're like well, if this guy is supposed to have lots and lots of kids and God's going to have him kill his only kid what's he going to do now See, the book of Genesis is this amazing story of seeing what God can do. Time and time and time again, the author is going to prevent some chaos, the author is going to prevent some tension, and then we get to see time and time again just how God comes through. Why? Because he takes confusing things and brings peace. He takes chaos and brings order. And if that's the foundation that's laid in Genesis one, one and two, that God brings peace to confusion and order to chaos, um, what do you think He can do with the situation you're working with in your life right now? Right, the kid who went off to college and didn't come home the same, and now you're like, I don't, I don't know what to do. We raised him the right way. I, I, this has come totally out of left field. I don't, I don't, I don't even know where to start. There's confusion. There's chaos. We worship a God that we see in chapter one brings peace and brings order and clarity to the confusion. Maybe it's job transition. Everything was going great and then this whole thing just fell out from under us. I don't know what's gonna happen. I just don't know. We serve an eternal God who says he has good purposes in mind for us and he's in the business of bringing clarity to confusion. He'll bring clarity to that situation. See, the foundational truths that we look at here in Genesis 1 1 and 2 expand for our entire life. And they give us an opportunity to say, Well, God, you're God, and I'm not. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? God is God. But sometimes when I look at my own life and even the life of some of my friends, I I don't think we always believe it. We try to handle everything on our terms. We try to fix everything on our terms. We try to do everything our will, our way. And the story of creation is that we don't have to. We see from the story of creation that God is eternal, and because He's eternal, we can trust in His plan because He's working something for our good and for her, His glory. We see from creation that God is the Creator, and because He's the Creator, we should worship Him, not ourselves. We see that God is relational, and because He's relational, we can have relationship with Him and we can have relationship with His people. We see from creation that God brings order. So we should let God order our life according to his will and his purposes. Maybe you're here this morning and you've kind of been being the God of your own life. And you've been doing things your will, your way. Or maybe you're here this morning and and maybe you are that kid who's gone off to college and returned a different person. Or maybe you are that person who's wandered far away from the faith like the prodigal son that we read about in Luke chapter 15. This guy who had a close relationship with his father but then left it all for something he thought was better and then realized it was all for nothing so wanted to come back. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're here this morning and, and, and maybe you're believing in God. Maybe you're wondering, well, what do I do next? I think, I think for all of us this morning, a good next step is for all of us to place our faith in Jesus, whether that's the first time for you or the hundredth time that we'd return. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It says the old things have gone and new things have come. See, God is in the business of creating things that are great. This morning, if we come before him and recognize that, that our relationship has been broken because of what happened in the garden shortly after the creation account. But just like throughout the scriptures where there's this tension and this conflict of what is God going to do next, that he did something amazing, he sent his son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins, that he became the sacrifice for us. And that if we believe that, if we trust that, if we have faith in him and what he did for us, it says we become a new creation. I'd invite you this morning to go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. I'm gonna invite the band to come back out. I'm not sure where you're at this morning. Maybe you are that person who needs to return to the faith. Um, Maybe you are that person who liked to come to the faith for the first time. I'm I'm gonna pray a prayer and and if you're this morning deciding you'd like to follow Jesus or maybe you'd like to return and follow Jesus once more, uh, I'd invite you to just pray that prayer silently in your heart after me between you and God. Just say, God, I believe in you. God, I trust that I can have right relationship with you because of what your son Jesus did for me on the cross. God, help me trust you. Help me worship you. Help me have a relationship with you. And God, would you order my life according to your will and your way? Amen. Highlands Church, if all of creation sings the praises and worships creator God, we should too. Let's go out there this week Love one another and worship him with everything we've got. Bless you, folks. Bye-bye. Amen.